0: Stephen Hawking once wrote that the human race is nothing more than an advanced species of monkeys that is special only because we understand the universe. Now, despite the obvious oversight of the fact that we are in God's own image, actually there's a little truth in that statement. In comparison with the grand scheme of creation in relation to the whole universe, we actually are insignificant. Right when when NASA launched the Hubble Space Telescope, it sent us a stream of impressive photographs of the far reaches of the universe. People have often asked, Why God would make such a vast universe if there were no people or other creatures to inhabit it? I think these questions miss the most obvious point that God's reasons for making such impressive things have nothing to do with us. at least our practical use of them. God is making a point about himself. When we look at the images of the furthest places of the universe and still know that there are endlessly more things to find beyond them, we should be driven to think about how God made all of it. Every last inch of the seemingly infinite universe and God made that universe with simply his fingers the universe therefore is not there to be practically useful for us but to display the majesty of God so then our main point this morning Is that we exist to admire the majesty of God's unsurpassable glory. We exist to admire the majesty of God's unsurpassable glory. Now our first point as we consider this is the majesty of God himself. The majesty of God himself. So. Psalm 8, let's think about our text uh, before us. Psalm 8 is a classic, maybe the classic declaration of God's glory. Its main idea is is really clear as it begins and ends with the same phrase in verse 1 and verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is what King David certainly wanted you to take away from this psalm. Psalm 8 is an exercise in admiring the majesty of God's unsurpassable glory. David, here in this psalm, wrote a treatise of sorts, an expression of his admiration for God. It is a model for us for how we should look for the marks of God's glory Around us, so that we learn to appreciate God and admire His majesty through the things that have been made. David told us in in verse 3 When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of Him? and the Son of Man, that you care for him. Notice David said, when I look at your heavens. So David assumed that humankind will look at and contemplate the universe. He said, when we look at the universe, right? So, telescopes space travel, who knows, possible settlements on the moon or or whatever, are no problem as such, because God says in Psalm 8 to contemplate the universe. The, The problem comes when we contemplate the heavens and we find ourselves amazed with ourselves. Instead of with God. Right. Imagine. You go to the Louvre. In Paris. On a quest to see the Mona Lisa. Perhaps the most famous painting we could think of. Now at last you find yourself in that room. Where the entire back wall. Is devoted to that renowned painting. Now now in that moment. As you gaze on this piece of renowned artwork what will you be thinking obviously right the thing that you'll be that will strike you first is how amazing you are right because you're the one looking at this incredible piece of art wrong when you are confronted with greatness unless you have distorted every aspect of reality You won't be thinking about yourself. Confronted with the Mona Lisa, your mind should be on the amazing skill of the artist. On how wonderful it is to be in the presence of of a work that so many people have cherished. Not on yourself. And so, that reveals how really deeply wrong-headed that quote from Stephen Hawking Is right, Hawking said, We are small, that bit we can agree, but we understand the universe, which makes us great. Are you kidding? We understand the universe, so we are great. We might point to Big Ben or the pyramids, or the Great Wall of China as amazing human accomplishments. But God points to the sun, to to the Milky Way galaxy, to the ends of the universe filled with stars that our best telescopes will not even be able to see in our lifetimes. And God says to our efforts at greatness, Try again. Our towers of Babel are just dust at the feet of God's glory. God made the universe, at least in part, so that the majesty of God himself would be on clear display. Which brings us to our second point. The majesty of God's works. All right, The last point was meant to highlight how God's majesty is writ large across creation. And so in this point, I want to indicate the importance of the reality of God's majesty for everything we do. I hope the point has already been clear so far that the universe exists to magnify the greatness of God. Right, as David wrote, you have set your glory above the heavens. And that reveals God's majesty is the most important feature of all reality, which entails that God made all creation to point to himself. Everything is God's center. All things hinge on the majesty of God and are meant to direct us back to his unsurpassable glory. Right, Presbyterians and Reformed folk have, have long emphasized the glory of God. But this point raises an issue that might still cause trouble for, for a lot of people. Now, I imagine that we agree. That it is good to be God centered. You know, as people, as human beings, as God's people, it's good that we are God centered. But we struggle slightly more with the idea that God is God centered. It's kind of a, a basically accepted biblical axiom that whatever we do, we should do it for the glory of God. But what about the claim that God does everything for the glory of God? The greatest good that God can do, and the reason for all his works, is to magnify himself. It's not an accident that creation screams his glory. He made it that way so that it would declare his glory. Creation itself is about announcing the glory of God. But there's a really challenging application here as we th- consider the way that we think about God. We should be God-centered Because God is God-centered. So then, if our favorite thing about God is that we think we are the apple of his eye, if our favorite thing about God is that we believe that God exists for us, that God has us at the center, if that's our favorite thing about God, Then that is not love for God. It's love for yourself. God's majesty and glory are central throughout Scripture. And we begin to appreciate what the true God has done for us once we realize how we relate to His glory. Right? We've already seen from Psalm 8 how. How God made the creation for His glory. The the creation is is meant to announce God's glory, and all the beauty of the universe should remind you that this beauty that we can hardly comprehend actually has nothing on God's majesty. Right, a few, a few years ago, uh, Sarah and I took. A day and a half, two-day trip uh, to Berlin. And as we walked around the city, I was struck by how so much of the architecture there makes a point. The blocks uh, of these buildings are enormous. The, The decoration on these buildings although in some ways minimal, screams strength, wealth, and importance. Right, Important buildings, significant buildings, are bigger than they need to be, and they make a real impression. And there was an ideological point behind making those buildings like that. These buildings were meant to convey something about the people who reside and work in them and the strength and significance in the world of empires. You are supposed to understand the implicit communication of power in these things that have been made. And so we can can think about this another way, right? Imagine that you are invited to the queen's house, whichever one of her houses is your favorite, you pick. Uh, But as you enter the very large front doors, the entryway is already as big as most of our homes. You have to navigate around decorated columns, just to get into the receiving area, which is covered in magnificent decorations that cost fortunes. Now, in this situation, will you be thinking about how wonderful you are and how amazing you must be because you have laid eyes on these treasures? No. Your attention will be, should be, On the greatness of the monarch, you will be reminded uh, by every artifact and every decoration that the queen is powerful and majestic and lives in an essentially different world than we do. Every room of the palace is, is designed to make people think, who am I compared to the owner of this home? and then we remember that god lives even far above the cosmos our sun that would vaporize us and even our entire planet if we were to move just slightly too close it's a small star In a small galaxy. And God made the entirety of creation with a word, His voice. Our psalm says, the effort of His finger. And so we have to ask with verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? We miss the point entirely if if we look at the creation and get wrapped up into anything other than God's majesty. The majesty of God's works prompts us to ask ourselves what we find glory. And so we come to our third point, the majesty of God's gospel. Right? Okay, so the second point emphasized that God acts supremely for his own glory. And, and we have a problem with exchanging his glory for our idols, our affections for anything other than God's majestic glory is reason why Paul wrote in Romans 5.10 that we were formerly enemies of God. And yet if we think about that verse, it it helps us transition to the purpose of of this point, that God's commitment to his own glory is actually really good news for us. So, Romans 5.10 and 11 says, for took the initiative toward his enemies to crucify his own son so that those enemies would be reconciled to him. Although we offended God's glory by sinning against his law and exchanging a, a love for him for a love for created things, God... Acted to close the gap between himself and sinners so that we could be saved. Paul noted something really important. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that we are reconciled, we rejoice in God. Does that sound familiar? At all? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? We make it obvious what we find majestic in the things that win our affection and cause us joy. God has saved you so that you can rejoice in Him. Bring worship to His name and appreciate His majesty. Right? Think of Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved God's election of us to salvation was to the praise of his glorious grace right so here's the application God did not save you because of something wonderful or beautiful about you God's work of salvation was not motivated by how great you are. But that is really good news. That is amazing news. Because when we are honest with ourselves, we know, we know that we as sinners have nothing so beautiful in us that we could cause God to rescue us. None of us are, are motivated to scoop an old bin bag out of a mud puddle because it's beautiful. We know that we, as the former enemies of God, could never polish ourselves so much that God would then find us majestic in ourselves, especially so much so that he would remove our sins because of our own beauty. We are then thankful that God rescues us because he wants to magnify his grace. God was not satisfied to let the entire human race made in his image so important, made in his image, be sullied in punishment for eternity. God was not content simply to punish Adam and Eve for believing the certain the serpent's lie, that they could be as God. God did to convince the universe and display it across creation that no one, no thing in no time, place or reality could ever be like God. His Majesty is unsurpassable, and so he saved us. He displays his majesty by placarding his deep goodness and mercy across the cosmos by sending the Son of God to die on the cross and take away our sins. God the Son, Jesus Christ, displays the strength of his might by overcoming death by dying. By becoming weak, he became strong and earned eternal glory. No other God could do that. No other power in this world can destroy its enemies through humility and obedience. But Christ, the Son of God on high, God's majestic Son who created the universe and upholds it by the word of His power, has overcome all things by keeping the law for you and dying to wash away your sins. And he rose from the grave in glory. To show that no power of sin, death, or hell can ever cast a shadow. Over the deep, abiding, endless majesty of God. Psalm 8, five says... Yet you have made him, meaning man, a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. David, when he wrote this, uh, highlights our dignity uh, as as God's image by showing that we were made just a little lower than the angels. So he was intending to elevate our standing in the universe by saying we're just that much below the heavenly beings. Despite that, this verse actually tells us about the humility that Christ endured for us to save us. Hebrews 2, 5-9 tells us that God's Son, who is equal in glory and authority with the Father, was made a little lower than the angels. For us, that's a a magnificent place to be, just slightly lower than the angels. But for God's eternal Son, that was an act of becoming a humiliated servant. Christ took on our place of being lower than the angels. And yet because of his obedience unto death, every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess him as Lord. Because of his suffering and obedience, he is crowned with glory and honor. Isn't it striking that God would do that for us? The triune God, who made the world to display his glory, would send the Son to the cross in utter humiliation so that you, Christian, would one day be glorified? God will perfectly conform us to the image of his Son, who is the glorious Savior. God is no stingy God. And what a wonderful thing. His passion for his own glory is by no means a narcissistic self-obsession. God glorifies himself by making the Son a servant so that he might give blessings to you. That is an amazing God and we should bow in marvel at the majesty of this God this God who has believer made you his by the glorious work of Jesus Christ let's pray Father God we do rejoice at your glory We rejoice at how majestic our God is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We bow in awe, in pure amazement at who our God is. And not only are you majestic in yourself, in simply who you are, apart even from the creation, You have made this universe to display yourself and to make your glory known to us. What a privilege it is to get to sit in awe at the majesty of the Creator God. And even more than that, to be the redeemed people of the Creator God. That is a privilege in itself to be called by the triune name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be baptized into your church by the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. We are marked with glory, not because of ourselves, but because you have set your presence upon us. It's hard to fathom. And it's hard to fathom why people would not want that. But we know that there are some who are blind in their sin. And we pray that right now, as you spoke and light came into being out of nothing, so we ask now that you would speak and make faith a reality for some who had previously not believed. As we reflect on your glory, make your glory known to people who did not trust in Jesus and make them believers even now. God, we do ask that in these times, we know that this is a difficult season for many, and we ask that you would lift our eyes above the mere horizon of this world to the glory of our Lord. and How majestic your name is in all the earth and even beyond it. Help us to see that. Help that to drive our lives and fill us with contentment, fulfillment, and joy. And we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.